are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. We've been in this series called With for a couple of weeks, and um, we're borrowing uh, the title from a guy whose name is Sky Jatani, and uh, we're kind of using his book as a guide, and many of you are studying with me and reading the book as we go. So um, it's the idea that um, we all have this longing that only God can satisfy. You might remember about a year ago, we talked about a quote from um, a guy who maybe is credited with the quote who probably didn't say it, Blaise Pascal. But he said there's a, or somebody said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man. That cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the Creator through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we have this, this longing. I want to I know God. I want to be close to God. I want to live my life with God. But Jatani says, unfortunately, we settle for a substitute form of Christianity. Why do we settle for a substitute form of Christianity? Well, you understand that Jesus came, the gospel is, He came so that we could experience life with God, right? And so God, God has always been, and, and here we are, but there's something that stands between me and God, and, and so I don't, I don't really enjoy life with God because something's between us, and what's between us is my sin, my selfishness, my own rebellion against God, my desire and my insistence on doing life my way. And Jesus comes and He gives His life on a cross and He takes upon Himself my sin and He removes that by forgiving me what separates me from God. And He says, now you can just have life with God. You and God can be close. Nothing between you and God. Nothing. And so I think sometimes when we think about life with God, we think, is that, is that kind of like prayer life? Is that what that is? Where a person just prays a lot. I, I do think that it involves communication with God. But I think it also, as we learned in the first week, it involves alignment. Aligning myself with God. Do you remember when we talked about prayer at the very first of the year? And we talked about reasons that people don't pray. Sometimes people might say, well the reason I don't pray a lot is because if I were to go and pray, I would have to spend the first ten minutes repenting. And apologizing and trying to get right. And so it's hard to be with God when we're not living our lives in alignment with God. Right? And so it's about more than prayer. It's about alignment. And so here we are in this season of Lent. I think it's very appropriate because the season of Lent is about joining. It's really hard to say joining for some reason. I'm getting ready to say joining Jesus on a journey, and I had journey and joining together, and I just couldn't get them, you know, separated. But it's about joining Jesus on a journey to the cross. And that is about alignment. It's about surrender, right? There's no greater example of surrender than the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, He said, God, I have nothing else I can give you. I mean, I'm laying my whole life down right here. 
And so during the season of Lent, we're talking about being with God. But being with God is more than about prayer. It's about aligning my life with Him. It's about surrendering my life to Him. Well, Rick, what if I'm unwilling? Um, Unwilling to do what? Well, unwilling to surrender my life to the Lord completely. Then, Then I guess we have to settle for a substitute form of Christianity. And Jatani identifies, and his book is really about these four substitutes. And here they are. If I'm not going to do life with God, if I'm not going to surrender my life to Him and truly live my life in open communion with Him and my life aligned with His, then, then I guess I'll just have to substitute for another form. And so he talks about some people just substitute for a life under God. If I obey some of His commands, then, then He'll bless me, right? You see, it's still about control because it's always about getting what I want, blessings. Or what about life over God where I just say, you know what? I'm going to rely on the proven principles. I've got the uh, manual right here. Who needs the repairman if you've got the manual? Okay, I don't really have to have life with him. I'll just go by the principles. And then there's people, Jatani, who live, says live life from God. I, you know what? I want his blessings, but I really don't desire a deep relationship with God. I'm okay with where it is right now, but I do want the blessings. It's all about control or life for God. You know what? I'm going to do a lot of great things for God. He's going to get a good deal out of this because I'm going to do a lot for him. But I really don't have a relationship with him. And the truth is, all of these end up being life without God. Everything except life with God is life without God. I got up Tuesday morning and um, found myself in my quiet place with my Bible. And, and I was in the book of Numbers. We have an army of people reading the Bible through together. Started out with 400 and some women who said in the year of 22, 2022, I'm going to read it through. And, and then a lot of guys began to join in. And so a lot of us are using the Bible app recap with Terry Cobble. And so that, that landed me on Tuesday morning in the book of Numbers. Here, here are the words that I read. Um, then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. So this is the author giving you a little bit of a setting where they are. The Lord had shown him the whole land. So what land are we talking about? Well, Then the Lord said to him, this is the land I promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When I said, I will give it to your descendants. So we're talking about the promised land. God said to Abram years before, I'm going to give your people a land, okay, a promised land. And and now Moses is looking at the land and the people are ready to cross over. But listen to what happens. I have let 
you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And then it says, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. Well, to me, that's a really sad story. And you scratch your head and you say, well, what's going on? What do you mean I've let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it? And then he died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. Why, why didn't he get to go? What, what's the deal that Moses does not get to go into this land? I mean, he, God raised him up and he leads the people out of their slavery in Egypt. That's a big story, right? I mean, that's movie worthy. And, and then after that, he leads them through the wilderness, and they wander in the wilderness, but finally they've come through it, and now they stand on the edge of the land, and they can see it. And God says, Moses, you're not going in. Well, I mean, that hurts my heart. Here's what happened. Moses found himself in a situation where he didn't know what to do. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you just don't know what to do? It's happened to me many times. I find myself in a situation, I, I don't know what to do in that. Or I say to the people that I work, I don't know what to do. And so what do you do when you find yourself in a situation and you don't know what to do? Well, I get on my knees and I pray. And so that's what Moses and Aaron do. They go to the tabernacle, to the tent of meeting and they meet with God. And God met them there. And they were in the glory of God. And here's how the story unfolds, okay, in Numbers chapter 20. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin. And they stayed at Kadesh. And there Miriam died and was buried. Now that's Moses' sister. It kind of gives you an understanding. They've kind of come through. They're ready to go over. Miriam has passed away. <clears throat> now these, there was no water for the community. <clears throat> and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses. And they said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness? That we and our livestock should die here. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? Wouldn't this be a difficult morning for you if that was happening in your life? People just complaining, complaining. They just keep complaining. It has no grain. It has no figs. It has no grapevines, no pomegranates. That's significant because that's what is over in the promised land. And there is no water to drink. And so Moses and Aaron find themselves in a situation where they say, we don't know what to do. Just like you and I find ourselves in situations where we don't know what to do. And so Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And they fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Don't you love it when you don't know what to do and you pray and God shows up? Don't you just love it? That's what happens here. Don't know what to do. And they pray and God shows up. And the Lord said to Moses... Take the staff. It was actually this very staff right here. <laughs> the reason we know is we found it at a family's home in Yukon. Pay no attention to the modern day rubber tip on the end. We think it was added later. Moses, take the staff. You remember the staff? We'll talk about the staff. 
And you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes. And it will pour out its water. Okay? So what does he say to do? Speak to that rock. What does he say? Okay. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out water. You will bring water out of the rock from the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence. It was in the tabernacle, in the tent of meeting, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels. He's fed up, right? Tired of your complaining. Must we bring you water out of this rock? And then Moses raised his arm and he spoke to the rock. No, he struck the rock. Twice, with his staff, water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah. You know what Meribah means? Quarreling. Where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where He was proved holy among them. Now, you might remember something about the staff. Um, the Israelites had wandered, had been rather enslaved by the Egyptians for over 400 years. And, and God raises up Moses. And it was often the staff that God would use to prove His power. So, I won't belabor this, but you remember some of the stories. You remember one time God says to Moses, throw it down, and He throws it down, and it becomes a snake, right? And He says, pick it up, and He picks it up, and it becomes a staff again. You remember that story? It was, it was one of the ways that God used to describe and demonstrate His power to Israel. On another occasion, He says, take the staff and strike the Nile. And he strikes the Nile River and it turns into what? Blood. And so there were, there were other occasions where the staff had this incredible, you know, demonstration of God's power. They, they stand in front of the Red Sea. And, and that's when Moses holds up the staff. And what happens to the sea? It parts, right? And they cross on, on dry ground. Well, I don't know if you remember this story, but in Exodus, Exodus rather 17, verses 1 through 7, they are just in the wilderness. Um, now, what I read to you a moment ago is years later, okay? Um, they've, they've been freed from slavery in Egypt. They're all excited about that. But then they have no water. And they say, what would you bring us out in the wilderness for? It's kind of the same story in a sense. We're going to die of thirst. And so God says to Moses, take the staff that you struck the Nile with, okay? And go to the rock of Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out and you can drink. And so he does. And they drink. And now years later, right before they're going to cross out of the wilderness into the promised land, they're thirsty again. The story I read to you a moment ago. And again, they're complaining. Why did you bring us out of here? You're going to let us starve to death. Thirst to death. And God says to Moses, 
take from the tent of the meeting, the tabernacle, take the staff and go to the rock and speak to it, not strike it. But he doesn't speak to it. He strikes it with the staff. So I, I don't know. I just don't know. I, I don't know enough to be really clear with you. But, but somehow, it was a heart issue for Moses. Because God looks at the heart, and it wouldn't have been a big deal if it hadn't been a heart issue. If it was, I, didn't under, I misunderstood him. If, if that would have been the case, it would have been different. But it wasn't. It was a hard issue. I don't know if Aaron and Moses are walking from the tent over toward the rock. And Aaron says to Moses, are you going to strike it or are you going to speak to it? And I don't know if Moses says, these people are mad. We got we to get out of this mess that we're in. You know, I know that when I strike it, it will bring me water. That's a proven formula, Right? Maybe I'm just going to strike it. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened. But somewhere in Moses' heart, he makes a decision. I'm not going to do what God is asking me to do. I'm going to strike it because striking it is a proven practice that works. And I've got to go with something that I can make work because I'm between, literally, as Jatani and others says, a rock and a hard place. And we've got to have a solution here. See, when, when you and I find ourselves in situations... Where we don't know what to do. And we turn to God and God gives us direction. Then we have a decision to make. Am I going to trust God? Or am I going to go with something that I think I can make work? Will I rely on a proven principle? So whether it's in my finances. Am I going to handle my money God's way? Well, let me tell you something. There's a lot of people who know a lot about managing money out there. I think I might go with the proven principle on this one. Whether it's in relationships, when it comes to kindness and forgiveness or whatever, will I go with God's way or will I go with something that I think I can make work? Whatever the situation is, when we find ourselves in situations where we don't know what to do and we turn to God and His Word and God speaks to us because God is faithful, then we have to ask ourselves the question, am I going to trust God in this moment or am I going to go with a formula that I think can make work? Always the question, always the situation. I think it even happens in the way we view Scripture. Because life over God doesn't really need God. Life over God is a faith where God doesn't even have to come into play. You know these how-to videos? It's amazing to me. I say to somebody, how did you know how to do that? How did you know how to fix it? They say, I, I went to YouTube and I just found a how-to video and I watched it and now I, I did it. I watched the video and I still can't do it. Or, or there's people who say, do you have the manual for this? I'm like, yeah. And, and they get the manual and, and, they can, and they can fix whatever's broken. I, I think that's what life over God can sometimes look like. If I've got the manual, then I don't need the repairman. A relationship with God is not really that important. Just do, do the stuff here that it says to do. 
years ago, I pastored a church in Columbia, Tennessee. And uh, it was amazing. The church was uh, under a couple hundred people. I was there for two years. We'd seen a couple people come to know Jesus. I've talked to you about it over the years. It was such an amazing season of my life. I remember going home one day in the third year, third year, and saying to my wife Annette, you realize 11 people have gotten saved? I mean, like, I'm talking about transformed lives. I remember their names. I could tell you their stories. It was amazing. It was like, what in the world's going on, you know? By the end of the year, it was over 20 people. And, and, and I, remember, I remember going to church on Sunday morning. We would sing an opening song. I would feel God leading me to stand up and open the altar, invite people to come and know Jesus, and people would come. I remember one day a guy crawled up on top of the altar. He was the first one to the altar, and he comes and he looks at it, and he just gets up on it with his all force. He had never seen anybody kneel at one. By the end of the next year, there were over 30 more people. And by the end of the next year, there were over 50 more people. That's in a three-year period, over 100 people. And the only names we were writing down were people who were in a discipleship process. It was just, it was a move of the Spirit that I've never witnessed before in my life. It was amazing. Church was growing. And so I started getting phone calls from people saying, would you come and talk to our church or our church board or our church staff or we got a group of pastors that we're bringing together. Will you come and talk to them? And so I would go, but I felt like I was disappointing. Because the questions were always the same. What did you guys do? And I would say to them, well, we just tried to respond to what God was doing. Well, what do you mean? Well, like we never had a, a need to really disciple brand new believers because we didn't have that many. But now we have this new believers class. We have one-on-one -on -one discipleship that we're working through. And no, 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 back to Rick. Here's what, what did you do to get the people there? You know, I don't know. There's a guy named Rock Jaggers, and he, he asked some men to pray with him. That's a good name, Rock Jaggers, right? And, and they showed up and prayed some. And then the lady named Vicki, she asked some women to come and pray. That was different. We, we had these days where we encouraged people to invite friends. I think every church does that, right? No, no, no. What, what did you do? You know what they wanted? The formula. Life over God says we don't really need God to move. We just need the formula. It leaves no room for mystery. And the transcendence, the movement of God. Just gives us the three steps. We'll repeat it at our place. You see, life over God focuses on outcomes, not faithfulness. 
We, we want the results. And, and when you look at Moses, you could, you could probably say, well, Moses was successful, right? He got water. And water flowed out of the rock, didn't it? He was successful, but he wasn't faithful. I think sometimes we're tempted to say, well, if it's growing, then obviously God's good with it, right? I think the, the heaviest lesson in the message this morning is simply this. That, that when we find ourselves at a place that we don't know what to do and we call upon God and, and now we've got to make a decision. Am I going to trust God or am I going to go with something I think I can make work? Some kind of formula, you know. And, and when we decide to rely on the proven principles other than God, we have to settle. We have to settle for what we want now instead of what we want most. Moses, what do you want right now? I want water. I'm thirsty. I want the problem to go away. Moses, what do you want most? I want to walk into that promised land that I have talked and heard about all of my life. You won't get what you want most, Moses. You've settled for what you want now. You've made a trade. Anybody tired of being God? <laughs> Anybody tired of playing God? Casey Myers, our lead youth pastor, sent me an email a while back and he said, I know you're preaching this series. And he said, I just read a book by Simon Tugwell and, and it's um, a book on prayer. Uh, being with God. He talks a lot about keeping company with God in his book. And he said in it, he quotes this verse from the Psalm 45, Be still and know that I, I am God. And then he says, God invites us to take a holiday, a vacation, to stop being God for a while and let Him be God. I'm done. I'm tired. I'm tired of living life over you. I want to live life with you. And the road to that place is a road called surrender. And now, Lord, I'm just going to live my life with you in alignment and in communion. And I just want to know you. So, would you bow your heads with me? And just maybe kind of let what's around you kind of fade away. And Nick has some words in a song that I think may speak to us this morning and so it's a matter of simply saying Lord are you are you wanting to say something to me today are you saying something to me today and as he sings would you just kind of focus on 
these words. I don't have to say, I don't think that the altars are always open. It's always appropriate to come and pray. Let's just be in His presence for a few minutes. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.